Well, we're supposed to be talking about the voice of God, so that's what we're going to do. Um, and we've got basically two sessions, uh, tonight and tomorrow. So tonight, I'm going to take up most of the time with the uh, some facets of the voice of God. I did a conference by this title about two years back. I've rewritten some of the material, so you're getting the newer revised version, I guess. Um, but I'm going to talk tonight about what is the voice of God, because I think for a lot of people this is a very mysterious concept that is ill-defined. And then uh, tomorrow we'll focus more on how do we actually hear the voice of God and you know lock into that with the objective that we obey the voice of God. Now that is kind of a fundamental presupposition that I am coming from. And it, it actually bears emphasis in the times in which we live because there are many people, I think, who are, they say, keen to hear the voice of God. But in biblical thought, you can't actually hear the voice of God without obeying the voice of God. There's something about it that it either compels or arrests you. I don't care which way you want to say it. So whether it you know grabs you and draws you along or pushes you from behind, but the idea is when we when we connect with the voice of God, there is something that that we have to do in response. And so when we're talking about the voice of God, this is not it, it could be just entertainment. Yeah, well, you know, let's just rock up at the vineyard and it's better than going to the cinema tonight. Well, there we go. Turn up the volume. Um, so you know, it, you you could you could have that attitude and I run into that a lot of places I go. This is part of the problem that we have with the modern church in the West is people may appear to be awake, but they're actually asleep. Can I say that? <laughs> I just did. <laughs> so the presupposition with this weekend is if you came to hear about the voice of God, this isn't just your in lieu of the cinema. This is actually what your... Um, this is actually something that you're, you're after because you want to engage with this and obey whatever it is that God is saying to you. And, you know, Kirk started out by reading the account of Samuel. And in the end, God gives, he, Kirk didn't read this part, but after Samuel finally figures out, hey, I'm hearing God, God gives him a, a devastating word to deliver to Eli, his mentor and overseer. Now, you may have never read the account, but the word that he gives to Samuel as a boy speaking to an aged man, I don't know if you caught it, but he, his eyes were so dim he could barely see. So people went blind in those days too in their old age. But the word that he gives to Eli is, the Lord says, I am about to put an end to your house and I'm going to do it in a way so that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle in shock. And the reason is because that Eli has allowed his sons to run amok and they've dishonored the Lord. Now, in a day where we are told every word from God should be happy and up and positive and blessing, up and to the right, as we used to say in business, you know, you always have business charts and up and to the right is the way you want to be going because it implies growth of every sort. And we, we have been told this for many years now that all prophecy in the modern era is up and to the right. I don't think so. 
I don't think it fits the biblical model, and I, you know, I, I wish that it always were up and to the right, and I think much of it is up and to the right, but to say that it's always out would be a mistake. So one of the great promises for the Christian is this one that comes out of John 10, 3. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Now, if you say, I don't hear God's voice, that, only, that can only lead to one of two conclusions. Either you are hard of hearing as a sheep, or you aren't a sheep. I'm going to assume number two is not true. <laughs> I'm going to assume that if you're sitting here in a cold shed on a Friday night, you probably are a sheep. And so everybody go, bad. <laughs> but, but there is this problem with being hard of hearing. And so it's one of the perennial problems in the Christian life. I think it's one of the perennial problems in pastoral ministry as well. People say, I don't know what God wants, which is kind of the same thing. It's a different way of saying it. But if you were hearing God's voice, you would say, I know what God wants, but I don't want to do it. That's a different problem. But to say I don't know what God wants means I'm not recognizing God's voice. So recognizing someone's voice is one of the most fundamental aspects of relationship. And, you know, in the days before caller ID, um, and we didn't all have cell phones either. I'm dating myself. But the phone would ring, and you would pick it up, and you would hear someone's voice on the other end, and you would know immediately who it was if it was someone that you were close to. might be your mother, your brother, your dad, grandma, whatever, but you knew that voice, and all they had to say was hi, or hi, as you would say. And as soon as they said it, you knew who it was. So it's that fundamental to relationship to be able to recognize the voice of God. And we learn this very young. Children learn their mother's and father's voices very young. That's why when mom or dad comes into the room, even when the baby's in the crib, they say, hi, and the baby smiles and starts to coo and kick their feet and do all the things that they do. So it's not enough, though, just to hear the voice of another only once whether it's a mother with her children or a husband calling home from overseas on a business trip or the voice of a friend with whom we've not spoken in a long time, we long to hear the voice of those, who, of those whom we love. And so this isn't just about obedience in a rigid wooden sense. It's about desire. It's about passion. It's about longing. And so this is the way the Song of Songs says it. So, um, Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Behold the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Now, if you're used to hearing the voice of God, you might actually hear God speak to you that way. If that kind of language is uncomfortable to you, then probably you aren't very accustomed to the voice of God, or you have some of the common blockages to hearing the voice of God. One of the big ones is shame. Something in your past has held you back, and whenever you get around that voice, you do one of these. Peter had that problem. Remember when they did the first big catch of fish? They had a couple, but the first one, as soon as they catch the fish, what does Jesus, uh, Peter say to Jesus? Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. So the voice of God has this revealing aspect to it, and it, it shows us our hearts. But if, if it's true, as the Song of Songs says, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains and bounding over the hills. He comes running toward me. 
then we can say our beloved runs toward us and he longs to communicate with us and he also calls us beautiful. If you're a man, we can change that to handsome. And he tells us to arise and come away with him. So the voice of God comes in many ways and we're going to talk about a lot of those ways. But there are four dimensions that you want to keep track of when you're thinking about the voice of God. Four dimensions. The first one is whether it comes to you internally or externally. There is the internal voice of God by which you hear him, but you there is nothing externally hitting your eardrum. There's no physicality to that. It doesn't make it any less real. Sometimes people want to say, I heard the audible voice of God. Okay, that's impressive, but it's not for that reason more powerful or meaningful than the internal voice of God. Of course, the counterpoint to that, the other end of the spectrum, is the external voice of God, which means it is audible. Most of us will hear the voice of God internally far more than we will hear the voice of God externally or audibly. Um, the second will be the frequency. How often does God speak? And this frequency thing is, is a big deal that we'll get to in a moment, so I'll, I'll pick it up when we get there. But I'll, I will simply say this. I don't think it should be the case that our communication with God is infrequent, meaning rare, like Kirk was describing from the passage in 1 Samuel. Thanks for reading that. You saved me some time. Um, but the question is more, if God is speaking frequently, and he is, then why are we not hearing frequently? So we'll talk about that. The third thing that we need to keep in mind is volume. How loudly does God speak? Now, sometimes God speaks so loudly that you, you can't really avoid it. And whether it's internal or external is frankly irrelevant because it sort of crashes in on your consciousness. Paul the Apostle had this kind of an encounter on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. A light flashed from heaven, that's a nice adder to the voice, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, because his name hadn't been changed to Paul yet, why are you persecuting me? And it was so overwhelming, you know, he was knocked from his horse, he struck blind. I mean, that's, that's a powerful encounter. So the volume may be way up there like that, or it may be down low. Think of Elijah in his, after his famous encounter on Mount Carmel in which he calls down fire from heaven. And when he gets to Mount Horeb in the, in the Sinai Peninsula, he has um, kind of a threefold thing happen, which given the context of biblical understanding, you would have been forgiven for thinking that God was in one of them. There's a windstorm, there's an earthquake, there's fire, and you'd think, well, God spoke through all those things in, the, in other parts of the Bible, so perfectly logical that one of them had to be God. And it says the Lord was not in any of those and then the voice of the Lord came in a thin whisper. So on the one, one end of the spectrum, we've got loud and proud. And on the other one, we've got, you know, down here, down low is a whisper. So the volume. And then the fourth vector you have to keep track of is clarity. Now, we don't tend to have this problem as much today, unless you're maybe in rural Queensland on a cell phone, which, of course, you're not supposed to be if you're driving because you're good Australians. But we all know the phenomenon, right? Someone's in the car, and all of a sudden it's... And you say, I can't hear you. Could you repeat that? Other times, it's crystal clear transmission, and you, you can understand everything. So the voice of God could be very clear or less clear. 
So these are four vectors that affect our ability to operate with the voice of God. Again, internal versus external, frequency of communication, the volume and the clarity. And I think a lot of times we don't think about those things very much. So there are places in Scripture, Psalm 29 being one of them, I will, I will talk about it more, so I'm not going to turn there just because I'm trying to economize on time a bit. But Psalm 29 talks about the majestic voice. This is the one that's very loud and overwhelming, whether it's audible or internal. And it speaks of the many different ways that God speaks with that loud, majestic voice. It gives different aspects by which God may speak. And obviously it's quite clear. On the other hand, as I already mentioned, 1 Kings 19.12 talks about the quiet voice coming to Elijah after wind, earthquake, and fire. Sometimes the voice of God comes spontaneously. You're not looking for the voice of God at all, and something comes to you, and you have it. Now, when that spontaneous word comes, it itself has two subdivisions. One of them is that the uh, voice of God comes without any particular immediate signs. Now, they might come later, but they're not there in the moment. And the ca uh, case that I'm thinking of is the story of King Hezekiah. It says in those days King Hezekiah became ill, and he was sick unto death. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, saying, Go to Hezekiah and tell him, Set your house in order, for you will die. And then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and cried out and said, O Lord, remember how I have served you from my youth. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court of the, of the um, palace, of the house, the king's house, the word of the Lord came a second time to Isaiah saying, Go back and tell Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer. I will add 15 years to your life. And so Hezekiah is raised up. But Isaiah says to him, it will be three days from now before you are well. So there was no immediate sign. There was only the promise of a sign. But that was a spontaneous word. Isaiah had, in fact, delivered the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was, you're going to die. So much for happy prophecy. And then Hezekiah prays. And I don't know how long it takes to get to the middle court of the palace. I mean, presumably a palace is bigger than a modern suburban home. But even if it's as big as a city block, what does that take? Two, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes? I mean, it's not long that there's a, there's a complete shift. And so that word came surprisingly and unexpectedly. Isaiah was prone to these kinds of uh, surprise things coming to him. When he went into the temple, it says in Isaiah 6, now that same story I just recounted uh, comes from Isaiah 38. So 32 chapters earlier, he'd gone into the temple in the year that Uzziah had died. Uzziah was at the front end of Isaiah's ministry, and Isaiah was uh, a good friend of Isaiah's. Uzziah, sorry. And Uzziah became sick because of pride in his life, and he ultimately died. And it says in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I went into the temple, presumably to pray, to contemplate, and I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Another unexpected thing comes, but unlike the word that came about Hezekiah, this is a word that's overwhelming in its transcendence, and Isaiah is overcome 
with what happens. And he even has this fun experience in which an angel comes to him with a burning coal and cauterizes his lips as he cries out, Woe is me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So that spontaneous word, with or without accompanying signs. Of course, we have also the story that I mentioned from Acts 9, where Paul is knocked from his horse on the Damascus Road. That's a pretty powerful sign, the light flashing from heaven and the voice of God coming to him there. And we also have Jesus in the river, Luke chapter 3, verse 22. When he comes up out of the water, he's still praying as he's being baptized, and the heavens are opened, and a voice comes out of heaven, and with that voice comes what? The dove fluttering down and landing on him and with it the confirmation, this is my son. Having said that, sometimes the voice of God is not spontaneous, which should actually give all of us hope. Because if you look at, pick your favorite prophet, and you say, boy, that person gets revelation all the time. How come I don't get revelation that much? Maybe I'm not as loved, or whatever. We have the story in Jeremiah chapter 42, where the elders of Israel come to Jeremiah the city is under siege, and they say, have you got a word from the Lord for us? And Jeremiah goes, no, I actually don't. Let me go inquire of the Lord. And so Jeremiah goes and seeks the Lord. Now, this is a full-fledged prophet. I mean, he wrote the second longest prophetic book in the Bible. And in Jeremiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, it says, 10 days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 10 days later. So the, word of, the voice of God can be spontaneous. The voice of God can be delayed and may require diligent seeking. Now the word for voice in Hebrew is the word kol, Q-O-L. doesn't go the way our spelling goes. And it gets translated in the Bible a number of different ways. It occurs over 450 times in the Old Testament. It's a very, very common word. Ten times it is translated thunder. 39 times it's translated sound, which is a little more generic. And 49 times it's translated in a, with a similar word, at least in our language, noise. So thunder, sound, noise, that gets you to approximately 100 times. But then there's 383 times, or just a shade under 80% of the time, where it is translated voice. Now, this is interesting to me because it tells you that there is something of a phenomenon that can come with the voice of God. It doesn't necessarily need to have a phenomenon, but it's not rare. We might say 80% of the time, the same word is rendered as voice that seems to carry this idea of thunder, sound, or noise. So God's voice is that which gives life to the word, and it's quickened or applied you know, we often say the quickened word. It's the word that comes alive in your heart. It's the word that has pungency in your life. It's the word that will grasp you and take you in a direction, possibly sending you down a pathway that we call a calling. So it's the word of God that gets applied in our lives. We see an example of this one, and now I am going to open the Bible. We see an example of this one in the uh, Gospel of John in chapter 12. This is a famous story. 
Jesus says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice, there's the coal, came from heaven. So was it thunder? Was it audible? Not quite sure, but the voice said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Now, it's interesting, Kirk brought, came up to me tonight, just as we were standing at the back. Some of you would have been there, but not all. I bet it was two or three years ago, because Rebecca was here. It might have been four or five years ago. But uh, we had this one service, and I was preaching, and we had four words in succession. One about fire falling around Brisbane, one about fire falling on Brisbane, um, one about the anointing of Charles Finney or something, then being kingdom bringers. And then Rebecca was over here somewhere, and she stood up and gave a tongue. And then she translated it, and she said something like, the Lord is about to answer with lightning. And as she said, the ing in lightning, there was the, the, that roll-up door was up. It was a hot, you know, I think it was in November. It was a hot, rainy day, and there was this resounding... Boom! And I mean, it, it shook the building. Well, some said it thundered. And some said God spoke. Most of the people in the room thought God spoke because everyone ended up on their face. <laughs> How many were there that day? Yeah. So, God's voice gives life to the spoken word. And God's voice is the primal mover. We see this in the book of Genesis pertaining to the voice of God, Genesis chapter 1, back at the very beginning, which, of course, I'm still in the preface of my Bible. So here we go, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and empty, and darkness was moving over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said. Well, when God said, something happened the world was created. And, you know, there's a lot of debate out there, new earth, old earth, how old's the universe, is the Bible true? I think, there's, I think there are actually legitimate resolutions to those questions. I'm not going to attempt to do that tonight. But I will say this. If you understand the Big Bang Theory and you've read anything about it, you know what modern science is teaching about it, Modern science says there was a time when every piece of matter in the entire universe was in an infinitely dense point called singularity. And for whatever reason, and they don't know what it was, something happened and the universe began to expand. The Bible would say that was when God said, let it begin. And so it happens though that if you understand cosmological theory light didn't actually come into existence until 400,000 years after the big bang which is a fantastically long period of time by human span anyway but it took that long for light to happen so god had created the heavens and the earth the big bang had happened but then god said let there be light that's when light turned on and even today if you look at the discipline of astrophysics there is something called the background radiation in the universe and it exists between 2.6 and 2.725 degrees Kelvin 
Now, a Kelvin degree is the same size as a centigrade degree, but zero degrees Kelvin is the temperature at which all atomic activity stops and literally the electrons collapse back into the protons and the neutrons and matter once again becomes infinitely dense. So they can take telescopes that are uh, radio telescopes and they can track the background radiation of the universe. Interestingly enough, it's also lumpy, like the galaxies are lumpy. And it's at 2.6 to 2.725 degrees Kelvin with a peak of three degrees in a very few places. And it all occurs in the microwave spectrum. Now remember I said this thing of frequency matters. This is where it matters. So we can look at the background radiation in the universe and it is proof that once upon a time God said, let there be light. It's physical, tangible evidence. It's mighty cold evidence at 2.6 degrees Kelvin, but it is tangible evidence. And it all occurs in the microwave spectrum of radiation. Well, if you take you know, the, the radiation spectrum, it's huge because you have, you have waves that have very, very short frequency, and you have waves that have very long frequency, as long as a meter. And they, you know, they, the, the, the uh, interval between the peaks of, the, of these waves, the sinusoidal waves of radiation, is very great. But interestingly enough, microwave radiation is below television and above infrared in the spectrum, and it has a wavelength of between one millimeter and one meter, and its frequency is between one billion and one trillion cycles a second. Now you might be going, why are you telling me all this? What does that have to do with hearing the voice of God? If you understand what I'm saying, the background radiation is the lingering residue. It's like when you ring a bell and you hear that hanging in the air. That is the lingering residue of when God created the heavens and the earth. And you are being pinged, you right now, sitting in this shed at this moment between a billion and a trillion times a second with the voice of God. Just let that sink in. That's why I said the frequency matters. So you might miss the first... <laughs> 999,999,999 cycles as they come in upon you. But if you pick up just the one, every second you could be getting revelation from God. But the problem is we most of the time are not tuned to pick that up. Also, interestingly enough, note that I said this is microwave spectrum. It's below television broadcast and above infrared. This is the zone in which today all of our modern equipment um, carries out radio and radar communications. It's also the realm in which voice, data, and video are transmitted. Why is that interesting? Because this is how you will hear the audible voice of God. It is how you will get things like words of knowledge. It is also how you will capture visions. Isn't it interesting that God created the universe in such a way that we are tuned to pick all of that up from Him because of His initial creative act? Did I lose some of you? You with me? Okay. And why, why do we know this is right? Well, because John 1.9 tells us the true light, the original light, God from God, light from light, that light who created light was coming into the world, and when he came into the world, when, when he existed, 
This unleashed the voice of God. This is why he is called the Logos. He is pure revelation. So what we know is the light who created light, he actually came into the world in order to enlighten every man and woman in order that we would be brought back to God, that we would be aligned with him, that our, if you want to say it this way, that your dish would be tuned in to hear God. This is why Jesus could say, my sheep hear my voice. And so, just ahead of the coming of Jesus, there is the reawakened prophetic voice we see in John the Baptist, and it is released to and among the people of God. This fulfilled the prayer of Moses, Numbers eleven twenty nine. Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets. Would to God that every person on earth could hear the voice of God and reflect the voice of God. Now, where did Moses get that novel idea? up on the mountain when he was talking with God, and God said, this is my original plan. Now, why am I telling you all this? Well, I'm trying to stir in your mind and in your heart the, the notion that this should be normal. And when we say, my sheep hear my voice, and we say this ought to be the normal Christian life, you actually can see that there is a, it's not just spiritual truth, it's physicality as well. I mean, we live in that reality, we just may not be tuned in. So as we already said, God said, and now we'll finish verse one, or verse three of Genesis one, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So light followed creation, and light arose as the high frequency of the universe, above a trillion cycles a second, because of the energy associated with the Big Bang. It took 400,000 years of expansion for the frequency level to drop to the place where the frequencies that we term light frequencies, visible light spectrum on the electromagnetic spectrum could actually come into being. So if you were to take the entire electromagnetic spectrum and put it on a, well, we say a yardstick in the US, but you guys are metric, so I guess you call it a meter stick. If you took a meter stick and, and somehow compressed the entire EM spectrum into, into roughly that, and it's a lot bigger than that, but if you compressed it, the light spectrum would be about this much right here. That's all. The rest of the EM spectrum cannot be perceived with the naked eye. You might be able to feel it as heat, or it has other functions. You use it to operate radio and TV, x-rays. Those, those are also on the EM spectrum. Use that for diagnostics and medicine. But the point is, this zone at which our eyes are uniquely tuned to receive, that right there, that didn't even come into existence until well after the Big Bang, if you believe the Big Bang timeline. So light followed creation, and we tune into the frequency by, if you will, lowering our activity. Now, I'm not talking new age here, but what's one of the fundamental principles of hearing the voice of God from just what science and nature tell us we must become still and quiet to hear his voice. And I dare say that for many of us, one of the reasons we don't is we're not still and quiet enough, often enough, long enough. And we'll talk about that tomorrow when I talk about how do we hear the voice of God. Now, Psalm 19, kind of reflecting everything that I said, of course, Psalm 19 was written in a pre-scientific uh, time. So it describes it more in poetry and other language than in what I've just been doing. But Psalm 19 says this, if I can ever get to Psalm 19, there we go. Psalm 19 says this, 
The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Well, declare and proclaim sound like speaking type words, do they not? And interestingly, we we're just talking about, you know, the, the Big Bang. We're talking about the dispersion of galaxies. We're talking about that background radiation. Well, the heavens are declaring it. How are they doing it? Well, in part through the glory that you see when you look up at the stars and the galaxies, but in part through that background radiation that's emanating and coming down and literally falling upon us all the time, continuously. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Can you receive revelation in the day? Yes, because the speech is pouring out. Can you receive it at night? Yes, because the speech is pouring out. If you get it in the day, unless you're taking a nap, we would tend to call it a vision. If you get it in the night, Unless you're insomniac, we would call it a dream. Okay. If you're taking a nap in the day and insomniac at night, then you just reverse them. Then it's a dream in the day and a vision at night. But anyway. Get this. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. There is no tongue on earth where the people cannot perceive the voice of God whether they're speaking Arabic in Saudi Arabia, Swahili in South Africa, whether they're speaking Chinese in China, whichever dialect they have, they've got about a thousand of them, whether they're speaking Russian in, the, in Siberia, whether they're speaking English in North America, whether they're speaking Spanish in Argentina, somewhere, somehow, no matter what language, there is no speech where that voice is not heard. And verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now the thing that's interesting here, these words may not be like word, W-O-R-D. These may be words like logos. So the word that is perceived may be beyond the rational um, communication that we use, that I'm using right now to speak with you, that is why Jesus is called the Logos, because he is the Word. He's the light who created the light. But oftentimes, the way the voice of God comes is in a way that um, psychologists call limbic. It's more, it's in the gut. It's intuitive. It doesn't hit the cognition. And one of the reasons we often don't pick up the voice of God is we're too into our heads. We are being far too cognitive, and we have to learn to receive what God is giving us through other means as well. Now, can God speak through a literal word? Yes, he can. To Jeremiah, he said, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, shaked. And the Lord said to him, shaked. Now, that's a Hebrew riddle. Jeremiah said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said, you've seen correctly, I am watching shokade over my shokade word to fulfill it. So was God playing a game with a word, a literal word? Yes, he was. Can God play those same kind of literal word games with us when the word of the Lord comes? Yes, he can. But there's these other ways that he speaks too, and it's that that I'm trying to open up to you. Because for a lot of us, we don't, we don't pick that up because we're too locked in thinking we have to hear a literal word. Now that verse in Psalm 19.4 says that their voice goes out through all the earth. But that word voice there, it's an interesting word play in itself. We said that the word for voice is kol, but in this 
verse, the word that is often rendered voice is actually kav. It's a similar word, but it's not the same. And it, it should more commonly be translated line. So their line goes out into all the earth. Now, why is that interesting? Because if you understand modern co cosmological theory, one of the tenets of modern cosmology is that there are super strings that run through the universe. They call them strings. The, the fancier term for them is brains, not like this brain, but like think of membrane, but knock off the word mem. So a brain is something that runs through, and what is it shaped like? A line. So thousands of years before modern science, the psalmist David, who was a prophet, was talking about how the line runs through the universe and because of that background radiation that it strikes those those brains and you get something akin to when you strike a guitar string Neil MacArthur wherever you're sitting okay <laughs> or Trent Jacobs I see you another guitarist same idea so what happens the the voice of God strikes the brain, not this brain, but that brain. It causes something to happen, and that gives rise to the voice of God within the people of God. Wow. So God's actually quite musical, and he's actually working with us well beyond the dimension of our brains. And the voice spoken sometimes becomes the voice written, and with that it becomes more durable. So David goes on in Psalm 19. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, and it revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Well, all of these things, what is the law of the Lord? It's the spoken word that was reduced to the written word in order that it would be preserved and so it becomes more durable. So think of it this way. Have you ever woken up in the morning and had a song in your head? And it's not like one, one that would be up here on the screen for worship. It's just a song. And you've got that song and it's like, wow, this is really cool. And it, it, there's something about it. It lifts your heart because it's not a dirge when you get one of these songs. I saw a couple people nod. The rest of you don't wake up and have songs in your head? No? Okay. Well, we'll have to pray for that. That'll be an interesting impartation. But I'll tell you an interesting story about this. I'm off script here, but it's, it's an interesting story. I was in um, Africa a couple years ago, and I took off uh, from Africa and flew up to the Persian Gulf, and I changed planes, and then I got on a new airliner, and we headed across the Persian Gulf into Iranian airspace, and then we were going to fly up over Russia back to the United States. And I, I, in the cabin of the aircraft, I told you this story, didn't I, when we were walking at some conference in New Zealand or something? I think I told you about this. Okay, anyway. So I'm on this airplane, and I'm looking around, and there's nobody sitting near me at all. There's nobody next to me, there's no one in front of me, there's no one behind me, there's no one over there, but I can clearly hear something that sounds like the Hora, the Jewish, you know, dun 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 something like that. I can clearly hear it. It wasn't that loud, though. Remember what I said about volume? But clarity was extremely high. And so I'm listening to this thing, and I'm looking around, and I, I finally got up from my seat, and I'm looking all around, and there's nobody around me. So then I bend down, and you know how they have those plug things where you put for the ear jack for the... 
I put my ear right up next to it because I thought maybe the one of those is playing and it it's up loud enough that I can just barely hear it. Well, there's nothing in my seat, so I go around. I'm sticking my ear in all these seats that are empty around me. None of that's playing. So finally, I hit the call button. The flight attendant comes over, and I said, do you guys have any audio on in the cabin? They said, no, we only do that when the plane's at the gate. I said, would you just check for me, please? And she goes, sir, there's, there's no music playing, I assure you. I said, well, just check anyway. And she kind of looks at me weird, goes and checks. She comes back, she goes, all the, all the cabin music's off, I assure you. All right, so I'm hearing this music. Now, what I should have done and didn't do is pull out my phone, hit the memo button, and sing it with my voice, as bad as it is, so that I would not lose that melody. But this thing went on for about an hour while we're flying through Iran, Iranian airspace, you know, headed up over the, you know, that sea that's north of Iran in southern Russia. And as this music is coming to me, I'm getting streams of revelation that's coming to me. I'm giving you a picture of how this looks when it happens. Sometimes you wake up in the morning, you don't have to be in an airliner over Iranian airspace, you're just here in you know northern Brisbane. You wake up and you've got this song in your head and you're like, what is that song? You want to capture that song. I've learned now. I've got a bunch of them in my voice memos on my phone where I've sung it because there's something on it. It's, it's anointed. I mean, it may not be good enough for prime time up here. I get that. But it's, it's God speaking in a way that doesn't actually include literal words like on a page. Does that make sense to everybody? I'm trying to open you up to ways that God speaks. Some of you are looking at me like I'm out of my mind. <laughs> I am out of my mind. <laughs> okay. So when you get a song, and I'll look back at Trent and Neil again, or I could look at Simone. When you get a song and you say, this is really good, I want to capture this, you write it down. Maybe you record it. What have you now done? You've made it more permanent. David said, the law of the Lord, it came by that same sort of revelation to Moses. It got written down, and when you read it, it has that same ability to spring to life again, just like if you pick up a musical score, you play the right notes, boom, you can recreate that same effect. This, by the way, I think is one of the reasons that music is a key to having the revelatory spirit come over you. Just a thought. I know this is not the kind of stuff I've usually taught before when I've come here to Pine Rivers, but stay with me. <laughs> so God's voice speaks blessing and goodness, and the voice can be majestic and overpowering or quiet and still. And so what I'd like to challenge you with as we talk through this material is I would like to challenge you with this idea. Try to learn more about the way in which God least commonly speaks to you. If God often is overpowering and overwhelming, focus on the still quiet voice. If the clarity that you get is often high, think about the ways that it comes, the voice of God comes, when it's clouded and crackly like that cell phone breaking up. If the way that God speaks to you is often visual, think about the, the hearing side of it. If you often hear, think about the seeing side of it. But this is intended to be something that ultimately builds our skills. So what is the voice of God? Well, there are several key concepts in the voice of God. One I've already mentioned. The voice of God is relational. It is intended for those who know him. My sheep hear my voice. A stranger they will not follow. 
as I also said, the voice of God triggers obedience to the ways of God and particularly to his commandments. Now, I have um, a number of scriptures here that we could cite, but I'm, I'm aware of our time constraints. So I'll just say this material in a much, much longer form is available on the table if you like it by the voice of God materials that we have for sale. But being the people of God means following his voice. And if we follow his voice, if we listen, not just to hear it and say, yeah, that was cool, but listen in biblical thought means if we hear and obey, it will bring blessing. It says this in the book of Deuteronomy, if you pay heed to my words, then none of these curses will come upon you. And I will bless you in the following way. And he lists a whole bunch of stuff. Financially, health-wise, in your relationships. All these things will happen if you pay attention to the voice of God. This is all in Deuteronomy 30. If you don't pay attention, well, it won't go so well. Not because God's angry with you. I mean, I guess you could try to put your thumb in his eye. But more because you're going to fall in the ditch. God made the universe to run a certain way. And if you go out of compliance with that thing, it's just not going to work. And yet over and over people say, I've got a better idea. I don't have any better ideas. I only have his ideas. And sometimes I don't even have those as clearly as I should. But I'm trying to become more and more focused on that. So obeying the voice of God is a path to promotion. Anyone want a promotion at work? Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2. Nobody wants to get promoted? Okay, we'll just stop here. Okay, one person wants to get promoted. Exodus 5.2 says this, though, about the voice of God. You may say, well, this is you know, an overwhelming thing. Exodus 5.2 says, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Clear implication, you could resist the voice of God. You could overlook the voice of God. You could harden your heart against the voice of God. And don't think for a minute this is only an Old Testament concept because the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says, Hebrews 3.7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as your fathers did in the wilderness when they quarreled with me at the waters of Massah and Meribah. Now that is a really profound thing to be saying to New Testament Christians. Because so many Christians today are like, you know, I'm, I'm saved and I can't even sin. There's that teaching out there that we call hyper-grace. And yet the scripture warns to believers, do not harden your heart if you hear his voice today. Well, what's the clear implication with that? You darn well might. Because between a billion and a trillion times a second, the voice of God is trying to speak to you. And if you just tune the frequency thingy in, you know, properly, and you lock onto that thing, you wouldn't, you would be surprised at how much revelation you might start having flow through you. Which would be an incredibly exciting thing, wouldn't it? You know why this might be exciting? Let me tell you why this might be exciting. Most of the major discoveries in the history of mankind have come through what we would call revelation. I'll just give you one single example, but I was talking with a guy about this the other day when I was up in Bendigo. But here's one single example. Has anyone in this room ever heard of something called Google? Sergey Brin, who was the founder of Google, was a graduate student in mathematics and electrical engineering at Stanford University, and one night he fell asleep 
took, you know, not like dozed off, but he went to bed. And in, in the night, he had a dream, and in it, he saw the map of the Internet. And he woke up and he wrote down several algorithms that captured the map of the Internet, and we have Google because of that. That's revelation. That's the voice of God. And Sergey Brin, as near as I've ever been able to figure out, is not really a believer. But he was getting some kind of revelation. I'll tell you one other one. There was a, a, a very famous scientist who died in the 1930s. His life uh, was portrayed in a movie a couple of years ago called The Man Who Saw Infinity. He was a, an Indian man. And um, he, he solved one of the unsolved theorems they, the mathematicians knew it was a theorem that described matter, nature, and reality, but no one could prove the theorem. That's one of the things mathematicians are always trying to do is you know, write these equations that prove that the theorem is right. They knew it worked because they could, they could test it, and it would work, but they couldn't prove why it worked. And he had a revelation, and he solved that theorem and nobody could believe he actually did it. He was, a, uh, he was studying at Cambridge University, and he had one professor who kind of liked him and took him under wing. All the other professors hazed him, mainly because he was Indian, so he talked funny and had brown skin, and they didn't like that. It was England, after all, and it was the 1930s. So they didn't want to hear what he had to say, but he got all of that by a revelation. So we can harden our hearts against the voice of God, and the Scripture specifically warns us not to do that. What would be the opposite? Let's open our hearts to the voice of God. And in the end, disregarding the voice of God ultimately brings punishment. But we're not going to focus on that right now, except simply to say that if we disregard it, bad things will happen. So how does the voice of God come? Well, I've already talked about these four aspects that we want to pay attention to, but one way the voice of God comes is through creation. And so... This is one of the reasons that we see um, passages like the one I'm about to read in the Bible. No, we're not nature, nature worshipers, but we can understand that nature can carry something of the glory of God, just as we said the heavens declare the glory of God. So in Psalm 29, it says this, The voice of God is over the waters. The glory of God, or excuse me, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. Okay, so could you hear the voice of God in the water or around the water or near the water? Yeah. Has anyone ever gone to the beach to pray? I hope so. You guys live in Brisbane. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Well, when the voice of God is uttered in that way, it will literally split the trees. That might look like a thunder or lightning strike. But how about just a walk in the forest? Has anyone ever heard God walking in the forest? Or prayed walking in the forest? Okay. Again, we don't worship nature, but these can be conduits of revelation. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. Well, this is referring to the mountains. Lebanon is a very mountainous country. So, has anyone ever gone up on the mountaintops to pray and seek God? There you go. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Well, maybe you see a forest fire or something. I don't know. But the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. How about hearing the voice of God in the earthquake? Now, when Elijah had an earthquake, 
that wasn't the voice of God, but here it might be. So this is an important point too. Revelation that comes one way may not always reduplicate in the same way. Because revelation that comes through the voice of God, it's the moment of revelation that we're after. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth. Well, okay, so evidently on some level, the voice of God can trigger birth, birth contractions. Are there any mothers here that as you were about to go into labor with your children, you had a, you had a moment of revelation? You sensed God speaking to you, this is the day, or this is the hour. Any? One, two, three. Okay, there we go. So you're not as crazy as you thought. You probably never dared admit that before. The voice of the Lord strips the uh, forest bear, and all in his temple cry, glory. Or we should maybe say, glory. Anyway, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits uh, enthroned as king forever. Now note this business of being king forever. The vineyard's built on kingdom of God theology, and to have a kingdom, you better have a king. So the Lord sits enthroned as king forever implies that this kind of revelation is embedded in kingdom life and living. All right. In addition to natural things, the voice of God can speak through religious experiences or religious ritual. Here's one. I won't turn to it, but in Numbers 789, 789, and in Exodus 25, Exodus 25, 22, it says the voice of the Lord came from above the mercy seat of the ark. So we had these two angels on top of the golden covering of the ark, and the voice would somehow concentrate right there between where the wings came together and touched, and that would be the place. It, seemingly out of thin air, but that's where the voice would come from that Moses would encounter in the tabernacle. That's kind of mystical. Isaiah, of course, we mentioned him. When he goes into the temple, I think he's in the Holy of Holies when this happens. It doesn't literally say it, but it seems to be. He hears the voice of God. He sees God. And then, of course, in Ezekiel 1.25, Ezekiel says, I saw the cherubim flying, and the voice of God spoke from above the throne of the cherubim. But on the other end of the spectrum, the voice of God can come as a still small voice, as happened to uh, Elijah, as I already noted. Now, when the voice of God comes, it can be comforting, or it can be disorienting, and we might even say terrifying. So, for example, the voice of the Lord melts the earth. That would be terrifying. Psalm 46, verse 6. The voice of the Lord sounds like the whirring of wings in Ezekiel 10, verse 5. So sometimes if the voice of God is coming to you, you may, whether in your head or in your ears, you may hear something like... Or if you've ever seen birds flying, that sort of... How many have ever had those kinds of experiences and not even known what it was? There's one. Okay, one admitted to it. The voice of the Lord can sound like a trumpet, Revelation 1, 10, and 12. This is how John heard the voice of God. In this case, it probably sounded not like a trumpet like you would see today, but more like a ram's horn or a shofar. The voice of the Lord can sound variously, Revelation 14, 2 through 3, as water, thunder, or harps. The voice of the Lord can come as the roar of a lion speaking in the midst of a drought, as Amos described. The voice uh, of the Lord thunders uh, from Mount Zion. 
The voice of the Lord can summon and change the nature of uh, the state of nature. For example, to create something new as described in Genesis 2.7. Or the voice of the Lord can give direction as with Haggai's word, arise and rebuild the temple. The voice of the Lord can also bring healing, Psalm 107.20. So if we're interested in healing ministry in particular, that released voice of God can have a catalytic effect, almost like the voice of God that I was describing striking the brains of the universe, causing that vibration. There's something of the voice of God when it comes in a healing context that just the very speaking of the word causes healing. Can you think of a case in the Bible where that happened? The centurion comes to Jesus and says, only say the word, release the voice of God, and my servant will be healed. And finally, the voice of God can bring about a calling. So I've given you eight different things that it can do. We see this in Isaiah 6.4, Acts 9.4, that's Paul's calling. The Isaiah one is the calling of Isaiah. We also see... Uh, this same calling experience coming about through the voice of God in Acts chapter 13 when Saul is about to be renamed Paul with his buddy Barnabas and they get sent out on a mission because the Holy Spirit spoke. This is still the voice of God. Well, we've already said the voice may or may not be audible, but one thing about the voice of God is you must perceive it. And this is one of our big problems, is oftentimes when God is speaking, we are not perceiving, which usually means we're not listening or paying attention. Because if he's speaking a billion to a trillion times a second, you'd think we would capture some part of that somewhere, somehow, wouldn't you? The voice of God, come, that, that by the way, Genesis 3, 8 to 10 for a scripture on that one. The voice of God comes in a moment of revelation, and for this reason, it is by its nature subjective. Now, this is something that drives a lot of people crazy because they want to be able to pin something down. Give me chapter and verse or put a stake in the ground. How do you know it happened? Well, how did Paul the apostle know that he was being called by Jesus? He saw a flashing light and he heard something, but if you read Acts 9-7, it says all the men that were with Paul saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice. You'd think the light would be enough, but apparently not. So they didn't hear the voice. They did not perceive what was going on. So God normally, when his voice comes, it will come through means, as we've just described here in the Acts account. So here are some common means or mechanisms by which God's voice comes. We've mentioned dreams, generally in the night, but of course when you're asleep, unless you are daydreaming, then you might actually be awake. Visions, which may be akin to daydreaming, but most people would tell you that when they daydream, it's kind of up here in their field of vision. It's kind of you know, above the eyes in the forehead region and a little bit out from them. But when they have visions, oftentimes those visions will be internal right in here in the center of the forehead, or if they're open visions, they'll say, as Bob Jones so famously used to say, I was there. They envelop you and encase you. In addition, uh, the voice of the Lord can come through supernatural phenomena, and there are various kinds of these that, that we could talk about. I'm not going to mention them right now, but... 
Um, we mentioned, of course, the natural world, so we don't need to say anything about that. Here's another way the voice of God can come, parables. A lot of times the Lord will give you word plays or word tricks. Jesus told parables, didn't he? And so with that, you have to ponder what it is that the Lord is showing you. And initially, you may not even perceive that you are being given a parable. But you'll have something on your mind, and you're kind of going over and over in your head with it. And as you do that, it starts to make more sense to you. And suddenly, aha, I've got it. It was interesting when, when uh, Kate and I were driving to Bendigo for the meeting that I did out there a couple of days ago. I got a phone call from a, a guy that I know who's kind of high up in the Catholic Church here in Australia. And he said, as we were talking, would you mind praying for my back? It's sore. And I said, really? What's the problem? He said, well, I don't know. It just sort of came on, and, and I've been laid up for about six weeks. I said, that's interesting. I said, do you have some women in the office that have been coming against you? Now, I knew that one because I could see something. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, your problem is you have a spirit that has come against you, and it is a spirit of backbiting. Sore back. It's a wordplay. It's a riddle. So I prayed for him, spoke to that, broke it. And about an hour later, I got a text from him. He said, my back is completely fine. I've been laid up for six weeks. Those kinds of riddles. Now, that was a healing context rather than a destiny context or something, but it still shows how that word play, riddle play, works. Does that make sense to everybody? And if you look through the pages of the Bible, this sort of thing is actually very common. I mentioned the almond word that Jeremiah got, but he had a couple of others, and so did Amos. Amos had one where the Lord said, what do you see, Amos? And Amos said, um, I see a basket of summer fruit. He might have been in the market, or maybe he was on his own ranch, and they'd pick the trees, and you know they had the fruit in a basket. And the Lord said, right. And again, using the word play, it wouldn't make sense in English, but in Hebrew, uh, the Lord says, the end has come because of the wickedness of my people, because it rhymes with the word fruit. God can do this all the time. And there are a lot of people, if you listen to them, who are well-known prophets out there, many times they are using word plays on names. I was listening to Gary Morgan recently. You guys know who Gary Morgan is? No? Okay, he's a guy down in Melbourne, and he's a pretty well-known Australian prophet. And he was talking about how he was giving a word to someone, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the word, it's like he got stuck. And he's, and he, he's on the platform. He goes, God, get, I need more. I mean, I'm not done with this word. Help me, help me, help me. And he sees somebody sitting in the front row taking notes, and... It was someone that he knew, and that person's name was Alan, and they were on a Macintosh computer. And he said, just kind of in a moment, just he didn't say it aloud, he just looked at him and he went, oh, Alan's on his Mac. Oh, Mac Allen. And he looks at the woman that he's speaking to, and he says, um, do you live on McAllen Street? And she says, yes, that's the street I live on. That's crazy. You could say he just got lucky. But if you knew Gary Morgan's track record, you knew he's not getting lucky. That's, that's the, one of the ways he gets revelation. This is how the voice of God comes. But see, if you've been trained to turn all those lights off, when you hear his voice, you will harden your heart. You will close your ears. You will not move forward with that. And what we're trying to do here is actually open all of that up so that we start doing better with it. Does that make sense? Okay, we're almost done with tonight's message. So parables, 
And remember, Jesus said all the time of his parables, for the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, open your ears, because if they aren't open, you won't hear. And therefore, the meaning of the parable will be lost to you. Well, this is a generalized principle. It's not only for the teachings of Jesus, if we're trying to hear the voice of God. All right. Uh, prophecies given or received would be obviously a way that the voice of God can come. And the voice of God will generally reveal something of his character, just as what comes from the mouth of an otherwise attractive person tells us something of their heart. So think of someone you know. They might be handsome or beautiful, depending on if they're male or female. But, you know, sometimes you meet people who are very attractive, and as soon as they open their mouth, you go, this is not a nice person. They may look good on the outside, but it's not so nice on the inside. Well, the voice of God, by its nature, reveals something of the character of God to us. So when we are properly uh, tuned into that, we will fall in love with him more, we will understand something more of his character. We'll see something of his infinite goodness. I mean, all of this is revealed in the voice of God. What's one of the key things that degrades our ability to tune into and operate in, in receiving the voice of God? Well, it's probably a triad, sin, fear, and shame. If you have sin in your life, it will plug your ears. It will, and I don't just mean these ears. I mean literally every form of reception. Fear. If we fear God, we will not hear God. That's a wordplay, too. If we fear God, we will not hear God. Where do we see this? Adam in the garden. I heard you walking under the trees, as you do every day, but now that I've fallen, I was afraid and I hid myself. Clear, clear implication, I didn't want to hear what you had to say today. So when we have that, un I'm not talking about reverence for God, that sometimes we call that the fear of God. But the fear of God that is that cowering, sniveling, oh God, he wants to incinerate me into a cinder, dangle me over hell on a stick, you know, that kind of thinking. That a lot of people have been raised in in the church, that will stop the, the ability to acquire the voice of God. And then shame, shame is really kind of a long-term problem that people pick up. And in, in a kind of colloquial layman's way, we could say, shame is believing there is something fundamentally wrong with me. Now, that's different from guilt. Guilt is I did something wrong. But shame is I am wrong. And when you meet people who have that, you know, they, they just, they're always sort of bent over. I, sometimes I call it worm theology. I'm a worm. O oh God, thou art great and mighty, and in thy greatness thou hast looked down upon us, though we are not worthy of anything. And we come before thee in thine greatness. And though we are not worthy, we give thee honor and praise. And we ask that our offering would be acceptable unto thine ears. That kind of sentiment. You're really quiet out there. Are you listening or am I offending you? Or is it going over your head? Okay. So sin, fear, and shame are the three big things that degrade our ability to hear the voice of God that is hitting us a billion to a trillion times a second. All right, just a couple last things here. What's the relationship between the word of the Lord and the voice of God? The word of the Lord is the what. The Hebrew word is the dabar of Yahweh. The voice of God is the how. So that's the kol. So dabar and kol, they don't even sound alike. So the word is the what. It's the content. It's the, it's the, the meat of the thing.
But the voice of God is the how. So kind of along the lines of what I said, it could be internal or external, it could be loud or quiet, it could be clear or less clear, it may be loud or soft, plaintive or insistent, gentle or firm, happy or sad, placid or agitated. When we talk about this, what do we say? Voice tone, right? When we, especially when we're raising our children, don't speak that way. That isn't a good tone of voice to use with your parents. On the other hand, we learn over time that we can, we can communicate a great deal with our voice tone, can't we? Our children know when we are upset with them, if we say, Ida Bell May, come in here right now. That's different from Ida Bell May, come in here right now. Clearly, the first one, she's in trouble. And the second one, you got a batch of cookies ready to give her, right? And it's exactly the same words. This is what the voice of God will communicate. So think of it this way. We talk about musical instruments, back to this idea of strings and vibration. Musical instruments are said to have voices, and yet they all play the same notes. A Stradivarius violin is not the same thing as a Yamaha violin. A Steinway piano is not the same thing as the one you buy down at Kmart. And a Tobias bass is not the same thing as a Fender bass, I assure you. Speaking as one who used to be a bass player. All right, so the voice of God has the ability, Jesus said, John 5.25, to summon the dead to life. So this business of the voice of God, I believe, is an important issue that God is speaking about right now because he wants to move us forward, I would say, not just in healing, but into the realm of miracles. And I, I made a comment about this in a message the other night. You might notice Jesus commissioned them to heal in Luke 9. They went out and did that. This is the 12. Immediately afterward, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. They get freaked out by a storm. And then they meet 5,000 people who are hungry. What does Jesus do? He teaches them to perform a miracle. So miracles are an upgrade from healing. And the voice of God is right in the boundary condition that helps us cross over. We could say a lot more about that, but I know we're short on time, so I've got to land this thing. The realm of miracles and power is more than just words. The realm of the transcendent is more than the mere recitation of those words. It's that animating, dynamic power of the voice that gives life to those words. We don't traffic in magic. We traffic in God's power because we are believers. If the breath that God gave, uh, if, if the breath of God gave life to the first humans, man and woman, Adam and Eve, then the voice of God gives life to the words of God in similar fashion. And so there's something in this voice of God that takes us into a new dimension with him. God is calling us to perceive his voice in a wider, more nuanced and internal and powerful way than we have in the past. All right, that's all.